0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Book of Genesis, chapter nine. Genesis chapter nine. Once you have found that, I would like you to hold your finger there and turn to Genesis chapter one. We are going to be reading out of two different passages, and uh, their similarity will be striking to you, I'm sure. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 26 of Genesis 1, and then we'll jump to Genesis 9 beginning in verse 1. So, chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, and then we'll jump to chapter 9, verses 1 and following. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter 9, beginning verse 1. So God blessed Noah. And his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Behold, as." saying as for me behold i establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds the cattle and every beast of the earth with with you all that go out of the ark every beast of the earth thus i establish my covenant with you never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth And God said this is a sign of the covenant which I have between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth and the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Last Sunday was... Um, An appropriate message for when we talk about our nation, and if we um, sometimes those sermons line up like that, that land on a prop- appropriate holiday, and sometimes they don't, like tonight, today. And uh, happy Mother's Day and happy Father's Day today, because this is what we're going to talk about, these moms and dads. Um, and so uh, last week we talked about being a blessing to your world, to your community, to your nation. And we're going to look at one facet of that this morning very specifically and uh, directly. And then I'm also, I have planned to do really a two-fold message, almost two messages in one, but uh, the one is getting the better of me here. I don't know that I'll get to the second part of my message this morning, um, but that's all right. We'll keep doing it till the Lord comes and we'll move forward. Before we get into our passage this morning, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, would we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to open your word and to consider its truth, to meditate upon it and to be challenged by it, and to humble ourselves before it. We pray you might find such a spirit in our midst, that we are responsive to your working, not just by declaring amen, amen, but that by obedience we might resolve today to bring our lives into more and more conformity to your word. We praise things in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our discussion that was really an overview of chapter 29 of Jeremiah, We I whipped through one area and didn't really... De- Address it very much, and I want to do so today um, because it is critical and because it's in God's Word on multiple occasions, and uh, it is, but it is not something that is addressed very frequently that we would get it to it even annually. So, when I arrive at a passage like this, I want to take some time. I realized that I wasn't doing this very often uh, during one of your premarital counseling sessions. I didn't even know you felt this way, was what the comment made to me. Right, Kelly? Um, Just had to throw her in there. I didn't realize you held that position. um, And that shouldn't be, if you've been in this church for any length of period of time. Um, It's a biblical position, and we're going to talk about something very personal, and that's your family, your family life. And particularly what God calls us to in terms of the purpose, uh, one of the purposes that you have in life, especially as a married person. And we're going to talk about our sons and daughters, our fertility, if you will. And we're going to do it because God's word demands us to do it. Uh, among the first commands that God gives to humanity is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. After the flood, in case you thought things changed now, because the environment has changed radically from before the flood in the Garden of Eden to now after the flood, God comes upon the scene and rehearses the same thing to Noah. And really there's only one difference between the two instructions to Adam and to Noah, and that is simply that now you are to eat meat. Uh, that is what has changed. So instead of just eating of the seed of the, and of the tree of the garden... Now, every animal is also available to you to eat. And so we have a change in diet, but in the other aspects of it, you're still to subdue the earth, you're still to be fruitful, and you're still to multiply. This is God's command. And we find that God's expectation for his people were to multiply. I have my wife's uncle, when we were young, and I'm sure he still does it today as a retired pastor, even challenged every young person and every young couple, well, you haven't multiplied until you've had three. And I used to kind of scoff at that a little bit. And frankly, uh, as I've matured in the Lord, this is one area that I have been deeply convicted over to the extent that now I am very remorseful for my attitude towards childbearing that I had as a young person. I was the guy that scored zero, zero when it came to compassion. Because the exam to measure compassion was your relationship with children. And as a 21 year old, I scored zero on that. Um, I had no interest in it. And when we were premaritally counseled by our pastor, and we were sat down and told, both sitting side by side. Close your eyes. I have one question an, for you each to answer by just raising a hand uh, with certain fingers showing. It says, how many children would you like to have? And Pastor Turner sat there for a little while. He said, we have a problem. Neither one of you raised your hand at all. And that was our attitude. And that was sin. It was wrong. It was selfish, and I rationalized it, and my statement to people back then was, well, if I could serve God better by being single um, than I could by being married, maybe I can serve him uh, and dedicate more time in my service to him by being childless than by having a lot of children and all the responsibilities encompassed there. But all that was was a rationalization to cover a very selfish spirit. For, like all of you, I'm a child of this world. And of a philosophy that is fundamentally antagonistic to the principles of God's word. And that is what is at the root of Jeremiah 29. Whatever motivation, whatever rationale you want to throw out there, it still boils down to disobedience. Israel could have easily said, well, we're in a foreign land, a foreign place, we have a bunch of prophets that are a bunch of philosophers, a bunch of people telling us that there's no reason to get settled into the community here, there's no reason to be having babies right now, because it looks like we're just going to be turning around and heading right back, no reason to plant a garden, no reason to build a house, and we can have every rationalization available to us to avoid obeying God's primary command to man, first Command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. For all generations, God puts this forward. And here, God wants to remind them that if you want to meet the qualifications of an active prayer life, we talked about this a little bit last week, we're going to talk a lot more about it probably, if not later today, next week. Among the things that you're going to have to be obedient to is that first set of commands. To subdue the earth, to be fruitful, and to multiply. That that's still there. And so you're in a foreign land, but I and your, your, your tensions are elsewhere. Your desires are somewhere else. You want to go back to Jerusalem. You want to go to the Holy Land. You want to just put your life on pause until that day. But I'm telling you, you don't have my permission to do it. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In the 50s, bestly in the 60s and 70s, what we were hearing from many in America, at least, and in Europe, uh, in the quote-unquote scientific and health communities, is that we were overpopulating the earth. That it could not sustain The level of growth that was happening during the baby boomer period, which was really just repopulating the earth from World War I and II, to tell you the truth. Yes, we were growing, especially in places like India and things along that line. But we had this disclosure to us. You can't sustain this. You can't sustain this life. You can't sustain this and my contention, of course, is if we had put all the energies that we put into trying to try sustain habitat for minnows, owls, and little mice, if we put that much energy into producing and using our resources, uh, we could, and have, and will be able, with the resource available on this planet, sustain three times the population we have right now. We have the capacity to do that, but we throw that capacity at maintaining ridiculous amounts of habitat for very small, limited number of creatures and call that stewardship of resources. Well, now it's 40, 50 years later, 60 years later. And you don't hear about overpopulation anymore because it's not true. Though country after country has followed our lead and our pressure, along with that of Europe, to convince and to train their people to not have children. Population studies come down to three groups of people. There are three international agencies or national agencies that track international population very closely. And I'll tell you who they are. Number one is the CIA of the United States of America. Yes, they track every nation's fertility rate very closely. The other one is the World Bank. Those are weird institutions, aren't you? You're kind of thinking it's going to be who, it's going to be this. No, it's the World Bank. Traces every nation's fertility rates very closely. And the other one is a non-profit organization uh, that is the Population Reference Bureau. And so we have three three different groups that are carefully following it. And what they tell us is that we need to have, to sustain population, not to multiply, just to replace the people living, we need to have two and a third children for every woman. Two and a third children every gal needs to have. That needs to be the fertility rate to sustain the population globally. Now in industrialized nations, they put that number down to 2.1 children. I don't know how you can have 0.1 child, but 2.1 if if you're industrialized because you don't lose quite so many to infant mortality. So we are told that these are the numbers and we have learned our lesson very well. By the way, They use the term fertility rate, which is false. It is error. It is a lie. Because the fact is that women are still very fertile. And they are conceiving children, but we are murdering them before they are born. These are really birth rates, not fertility rates. Though every one of them will call this fertility rate and compare it to a birth rate per thousand. Or, yeah, per thousand. They give you per thousand rate. And so for 50 years we've been listening to all the gurus telling us to disobey God's word. To ignore this command. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the result has been a decline in population in many, many, by the way, our global population rate right now worldwide is 2.5. That is 2.5 household. That's how many children we're having. We are just barely above the maintenance level right now. Globally. But I'm just going to throw some other numbers at you. In Europe, all the European nations together. By the way, um, they also say that no society has ever survived once it drops below 2.1. No society has ever survived survive dropping below 2.1 they have all ceased to exist so i have some numbers for you Are you ready let's see if i can organize these in my head a little bit europe's in all those european nations the european birth rate fertility rate is 1.6 europe is emptying out Well, the worst nation among them is, in terms of the larger nations, is Germany, who is below 1.5. Most of them are right between 1.5 and 1.7. 1.6 is for the European nations. And as they have all these immigrants coming in in these last few years, they are poised to simply outnumber them. And so from the vote from Britain to get out of there, to limit that, and all of the other measures being taken, they're recognizing that we are going to be the minority very, very quickly and Germans will cease to exist on this planet not so far from now based upon this rate. Japan has historically been the lowest of the industrialized nations. The United States, you're all wondering where are the United States is at. USA, 19, this is all 2014, that's the last year. Those numbers came out in December of 2015. It takes a year for them to compile them all. US birth rate, uh, 1.9. It has been in a steady decline for 14 years. That is actually the first year that it has gone up. It went up to 1.9 in 2014 for the first time in over eight years. 1.9. The only reason it went up is because of one group of women that started having kids and that was 40 and 50 year olds. Those are the only ones that went up significantly. 40 year old women and 50 year old women were starting to have kids right in 2014. Those numbers rose significantly. Interestingly, of all the groups, only the Hispanics rose or maintained above 2.1. And the worst is non Hispanic blacks have the lowest birth rate in our country. Cops aren't killing them faster than abortion clinics. I hate to tell you that. And they're not having their kids. Historically, there's been several groups that have been exploding, population-wise, in our modern idea, anyway, of it, and that was the Muslim community. Just give you some numbers. Back in 1980, are you ready for this? I have flipped the page over. Back in 1980, most Arab countries had 6.8. children in each family. Iran's population rate dropped to 1.7. They have banned contraceptives in that country. And they are blaming guess who for that? You. The United States of America. And they would be correct. We are the biggest Providers and educators of birth control globally. We are leading the world in rebellion against God's primary directive for mankind. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. By the way, if you want to know why it's 2.5 when all these other places are so low, it's because of Central Africa, where places like Niger still maintain seven 2.2 children per household, and all through Central Africa is where all the babies are being born, to keep that rate up to 2.5, but that's also where AIDS is ravaging the population. We have a rebellion issue. We're rebelling against God's directive for man. I want to share one other nation with you. Back in 2000, Israel's birth rate was 2.7. In 2014, Israel's birth rate is 3.1 in 2014. What have they figured out? Do you think there's going to be any Jews left? Oh, yes. Because God's word tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And one of the prophetic word of the Lord through the prophets was that once they entered the land, God would make them fruitful. They would multiply and overflow their borders with so much population. That's what we're seeing in our day. That's a prophetic statement. The declaration by God that the Jewish population would remain, remain pretty much steady until they were back in the land and then it would explode and that's what's going on. We are seeing it in our day. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. My wife and I, when we get statistics and look at them, one of our concerns has been how many children are born out of wedlock and how many teen births there are. I want to share with you the last nine years teen births have steadily declined. You might say, well, that's great. Teens aren't having babies and I would not agree with you that that's great. Historically, teens have been some of the strongest producers of children in generations. You're thinking about that. You think we should marry our kids off when they're 12? Probably not till they're 25. A little earlier would be better. In America, in 1980, 18% Of children born were born out of wedlock. That's different than as a teen. In 2014, it was 40% of our children were born out of wedlock. We have made a declaration as a society that we will not fulfill God's directive for us in the area of family. We will not leave our father and mother. We will not cleave unto our wife. We will not be one. And we will not be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We will not do it. We have refused. The average age, the mean age, I should say, had reached a record high because not because teens weren't getting pregnant, it's because teens weren't having children. Please recognize the difference. We are slaughtering most of our children in that category. The mean age in the United States in twenty fourteen was a record twenty six point three, way up from twenty two, the mean age of a parent, of a mother. We are in masses of rebellion. By the way, there are three states in our United States that over 50% of the children born are out of wedlock. Surprisingly, it's not New Mexico. <laughs> You're all, I'm sure it's New Mexico. We're close. We're real close. It's Colorado, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Three states where over half the children born are born outside of a marriage. All of these are from the National Vital Stats site. You can look them up online, and you can be similarly discouraged and enraged. You should be enraged. And yet as we do that, we recognize that it's affected us. And we come to a passage like this, and we read through it very quickly, and we think about it, but we don't let it sink in and settle on our shoulders and feel the weight of it, of our responsibility before God that while we are in this tent, while we are in this place passing through, while we are pilgrims in a strange land, God still holds that mandate out there that we be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, particularly for you who are of faith. It is no mistaking that some of those that persist in our nation persist simply by biological uh, growth. The Amish. Why do they persist in this country? Because they have so many children. The Mormons. Why have they grown? Why were they so prolific? Because they were prolific in bearing children. You might say, oh, but they did it through multiple wives. Well, so did Israel. I'm pretty sure his name was Jacob, and he had four of them. And I, this is a little extra on the side. Um, you ready? This is not to promote or condone immorality. Um, but God has preserved fertility with disregard to that. It's that precious. Being fruitful is of higher priority to God than be moral. You let that settle on you a little bit. It, 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 my first reaction to that, say, no, he's way off base on that. Um, I, I want to just throw out two examples for you. You ready? Um, one is a man, Judah, who gave a gal his son. He died. They were childless. gave her another gave him a, her another of his sons. Died childless withheld another son. And this woman, who had kinsman-redeemer rights to another son because she was childless, recognized that she was being overseen, dressed herself as a prostitute, stood on the side of the road, and lured in her father-in-law and became impregnated by him to sustain the line. Because he refused to do it. And when confronted, they were going to stone her to death. Your daughter-in-law has been found pregnant. And then he says, well, this is the man who impregnated me. And he goes, she was more righteous than I was. Get that statement out of Judah's mouth into your heart. She was more righteous than I was. In her immoral act to preserve the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to keep Judah, the name intact, She was more righteous, even though through an immoral act she committed to do that, than he was to withhold his son from her and cut off the line. That's the priority that God gives to this area of being fruitful and multiply. I say, well, Pastor, that's all Old Testament stuff. In the New Testament, you know, Paul's telling everyone to be single. Yes, you stay single to serve the Lord, but if you can't, and yes, all of you went through preemoral counseling, no, I tried to convince you not to do it. Please don't do this. Please serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and and uh, my children know that. They've heard that all their lives. Best for God is that you serve God as a single person. You give everything you have to God, Un. un Distracted, undiluted, un, uh, uns, you know, just entirely. But once you're married, you will hear almost nothing from me. But are we pregnant yet? And I know some of you have heard that and heard that and heard that. You know, like Pastor is always honest. Um, well, I am until you get to three. Did you notice after three I didn't really bug you much? I'm looking at some of the young moms, and after three, you didn't bug us very much because you had started to multiply in obedience to God's word. This command holds. It stands. We have been inundated by a society that is in full-blown rebellion against God, and therefore the primary mandate that God gave to Adam and to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth to Israel, both in the land and both in, ba- and in Babylon um, and that he gives in the New Testament and 1 and Timothy says that among the aspects of God's blessing upon you is that you will be saved in childbearing. That's one of the evidences of the blessing of God. They are an heritage from the Lord. They're not a burden. They are, not, they, they are a blessing. And we can sit here and complain about unmarried women and teenagers having babies, but they're having babies. Why aren't we? I'm going to get real, real personal here right now. You ready? Um, I did all of this study because I learned how to do this. The internet's a dangerous place. Um, I learned how to do their things. <laughs> It's not hard, by the way. It's just a little math. All right, so um, I took all of you. There are 18 ladies in our church that are of childbearing age. Valerie's the youngest. Uh, Miss Rose Zuni, I believe, is the oldest one. And by the way, if Mrs. Fry and Miss Zuni die, we're in deep trouble on these numbers because it really drops off. Their five help out a lot. All right, so here's um, our current... Birth rate among our 18 childbearing age gals, 2.11. Again, thanks in much measure to two that had five and then Mrs. Roberts, the elder, had three. Right, three? I have you down as three. Yeah. yeah, I have you all down, I'm tracking you. By the way, I can't count Julie or Brenda's baby that they are carrying because they haven't been born yet. The rates are only on birth rates. And if you didn't know Julie was pregnant, You do now. All right. Any other announcements? uh, Kelly? Okay. All right. Sorry about that. And by the way, Jenny is doing great. She's your moral model, everybody, so go after it. So not counting those two because they're not born. 2.11 is our birth rate in our church. We are barely replacing ourselves. We are barely replacing ourselves. Now, I'm about to get out of the physical into the spiritual realm. Here's our spiritual rate 1.1. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't mean spiritual births as people being led to the Lord. I'm talking about among your children that are still in church. Maybe not necessarily this church, but in church. That are walking with the Lord as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that number, brethren, 1.1, is dependent upon every child in the church right now staying faithful to Christ, the balance of their days, including little Samuel. What does that tell you? That based upon biological growth, we will not be here very long. Which calls us to another growth, doesn't it? Because there's another, this is the biological, spiritual rate, But we want to talk about another rate. We want to talk about a rebirth rate. My challenge to you is not only are we biologically fulfilling the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but are we spiritually taking upon ourselves responsibility to do everything within our power to see rebirth happening in people's lives. That those who are God's enemies and far from us, are they being confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they might become our brethren, Now I become reborn in Christ, and join with this family. This is our calling, not only to be involved, be fruitful, multiply biologically, and certainly we have seen evidence that this is not even happening in, in conservative churches. We are shocked and dismayed at families of four and five, aren't they? I've walked around, I I walk around, people say, what do you have all those kids for? There's only four of them. I would have had more if I had more sense when I was younger and had a preacher tell me that that's sin. If I had more faith in God and less of faith in me and in modern medicine and in the gurus of this age, who knows how many I'd have by now? But they think four's a lot. and This is the case in our churches. This is not out of the norm, by the way. You Look it up online. We're, we're right there with everyone else. And yes, we could say, well, we're two points better than the country. Well, thank Mrs. Fry on your way out she's the only reason you are. We need to have a commitment to this. And yes, that commitment isn't just parenting, it's grandparenting. And I pointed that out last week, and I'm going to throw this out there, and and, uh, a few of you might get shook up. But verse 6 says, take wives. Um, By the way, you always take wives, and you always give daughters. You always take a wife for your son and you give your daughter to somebody else. You give daughters away, you take wives for your sons. It says, take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. You may be increased there and not diminished. It calls upon us to be engaged in this act of being participating and encouraging and challenging generationally this mandate is the first command right off the boat be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and eat some critters while you're doing it first thing off the boat tell your boys and their wives get busy spiritually we have the same responsibility to have spiritual children and grandchildren. That we are leading people to Christ. That's, in terms of national population, that's called immigration. And by the way, when our national numbers are 1.9, why are we even thinking about building walls at our border? We should be making it as easy as possible for people to come here to fill this land. No, oh, now it's politics. Never mind. Um, where are we bringing in the people? Now, I recognize two things. Number one is God gives life. And so sometimes they're childless couples. Sometimes it just doesn't happen, and God Does that for whatever his purposes were, and we see that you know Abram was there at a hundred years old and no kids, and we can sit there and struggle so it doesn't mean he wasn't trying, it's just no kids. But what is important is that we leave that in God's hands completely, entirely. There's only one example of birth control in the whole Bible. And the man was struck dead by God for doing it. And that is what God said he would do to anyone that would do that. And so when we look at abortion and we see all these babies dying, we deserve it. This is the removal of God's hand of blessing upon us as a nation. And the question now is Is it true of the church too? Have we grown so much like the world that we don't trust God? And I've got to tell you, as a child of the 70s and the 80s, that's where I was in 1984 when I was married. I didn't want children, I was convinced there was no need for me to have children. I would have spiritual children. I didn't need any biological ones. I would be a pastor, a missionary. I'd be out there with the gospel. I didn't need to raise them at home. I have a question for you. How many of you here today, just by an upraised hand, will say, I am a Christian today because, whether they led you to the Lord or not, but because you were in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Hi. Look around. Yeah two exceptions out of the room the fact is is that your first and best place for the gospel to go forth is in your home among your family period and when we start destroying the family we start destroying marriages we start destroying the role of men in our homes we stop taking wives for our sons. We stop giving our daughters to marriage. We stop having sons and daughters. We start to diminish the power of the gospel because we won't do the work at home. What makes you think you're going to do it out there? Yes, we want immigrants in our church. Absolutely. We are immigrant friendly. Come get saved and join us. We want them to become citizens like us in the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Please be that. Be the Statue of Liberty out there. You know, we want your worst. Give us your hungry, You're starving. Give us those people. Bring them here. Let them join our family. Let them add to us. But we also need to recognize the first place, the first mandate be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. it. doesn't say subdue, it's that order. You can subdue it more with more people. Trust me. We had six people doing earth bags Monday and Tuesday. It went so nice. Then we had three yesterday and Friday. It was a lot harder to subdue that earth. God has called us to this anything outside of that is rebellion we can talk about being a blessing to a nation and we cannot miss the fact that consistently throughout all of God's word he blesses a nation through children and he blesses churches similarly through children and those who are born again, a child, and brought into the kingdom of heaven. A challenge. To buck the trend. To be committed that I can trust the Lord for life. And so as the Lord is the author of life, and we ought to leave that into his hands and not be so foolish as to think that it is for us to decide when and how many and what sex and what health those children should be in. So also when we go out with the gospel, we do it almost indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. That is, we don't decide who should and shouldn't get saved. We share the gospel with everyone. We scatter that seed. We sow it with the hope of reaping a harvest somewhere among someone, somehow. The idea that we are going to target certain communities because it's easier to establish churches in them, and that's the church growth movement to the T. If you don't believe me, you need to read a little bit. They are targeting certain communities that have a certain economic position that they can pay off church debt with. By the way, this isn't it down here. (laughs) Oh, that we would go to the gospel and scatter the seed and let God bring the increase. But what a wicked thing to hold the seed back. It was wicked for one man, and God struck him dead for doing it physically. And it is wicked for us, both physically and spiritually, to do the same. So I want to call you today to the most powerful, strongest position of pro-life that is out there. not just anti-abortion, but pro-life. I am for it. I am pro-marriage too, because I know that that is where it is best done, and it is described by God's word, but when it comes right down to it, if it is one or the other, I believe I have biblical precedent that said, rather they have kids than not. If murder is the alternative, if us taking it into our own hands is the alternative, and t- stealing it away from God, I would rather they just have their kids. But the best said a man take a wife and beget sons and daughters, and take a wife for those sons, and give those daughters in marriage and have those grandkids. This is God's expectation. And it is for Him to engage in that, just as it is in our witnessing, in our gospel, that we do so. And so we will rejoice in children being born. And yes, there's a reason I invest myself in the nursery. And I harass you because I say I want a class. My class is diminishing this fall. I think I got two girls. that Are gonna, Are they both out of the nursery this fall? I'm going to lose Eleanor and Evelyn, I think, in the nursery. They're going to be three? I'm going to lose I'm going to have Sammy. So, but already these two have already taken things, so we've got to get some more babies in. For there we invest ourselves. But this number is still disconcerting to me. That we're not keeping our children in our faith. Half of them or more are not walking with the Lord. There's something wrong with that. I understand that it's their choice and that they must make Uh, life decisions but at some point we need to examine ourselves and consider our ways and look to how we are raising these children how we are training them how we are nurturing them how we are being examples to them what we are telling them are the priorities of life what we are telling them is not the first priority that God says be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it We are somewhere along the line not communicating that biologically and we are not communicating it spiritually. That the first priority in your life is following after the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what our children must hear and see in your life. Not the band, not the sports, not the work, not the money, none of it. None of it is comparable to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what must be communicated if we're going to reverse this trend of dropping our biological growth rate within our churches down to un- replace, we can't replace ourselves without immigration. Oh, that we would get a handle on this kind of a command. And live by faith in it. And I don't want you or your children to think they went through life and never heard a preacher say this, because I did until I said it in the pulpit myself. I had one pastor, Uncle Larry. You need to have three kids. You need to have three kids. You need to have three kids. You're not obeying God's command to be fruitful and multiply. The only one I ever was approached with about that command, and he was right, and I was in sin. And so you're going to hear it from me when when we come to pastors like this. They aren't that many, and that's why maybe it'll go years before you hear this again. But I'll put it in your ear every now and then. You guys know that. Pastors after us again. Be fruitful. Multiply, fill the earth. It is God's command. It is among the primary purposes that you have in life. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. Don't listen to the people. Don't listen to the gurus of this age for they know nothing. Their wisdom is foolishness and now they're reaping the harvest of their foolishness and they're all desperate for people to populate their lands. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. That in your day, when you walked this earth, that you declared that the little children should come to you. That has that not ever changed. That you delight in them, you work through them to fulfill your purposes, and they are your demonstration of blessing. Lord we thank you for the blessings that we have seen in our church. Lord we pray that you might help us to trust you more. To be willing to obey all of your commands. Not just the ones that are convenient for us. The ones that are smiled on by some in society and Avoid the ones that are frowned upon. Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. And Lord, not only in the care of our bodies and our relationships in terms of intimacy and its purposes, but Lord, also in our outreach to this community, that we might seek to reach the lost, to bring them into your family, to see them adopted in, reborn. Lord, give us a heart to scatter the seed of your word among all men, that some might believe, that we might trust you with the results and be faithful in the process and having great joy in doing it. And Lord, we do pray for our society even as we try to be a benefit to it, that we recognize the necessity of speaking the truth in love to it. We pray that we might, by our lives, by our example and our speech and challenges, that we might communicate that to those around us and encourage them and challenge them. And Lord, we do confess, that we have too often listened to the world and listened to ourselves and risen up against you in rebellion to what you claim for yourself, to author life, to set up kings and kingdoms. Lord, help us to be submissive. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen.